Hello and welcome to Seeing Saw, the official Spiral podcast. I'm Catherine Bray, Saw fan and film critic, and suffocating with me in an old grain silo in the Tuck family barn, look who it is. I'm Anna Bogutska. I'm a writer, co-founder of the feminist horror film collective The Final Girls, occasional film critic, and one of the three wise monkeys. <laughs> I'm Charlie Shackleton. I'm a documentary filmmaker, likewise an occasional film critic, and still mourning the premature demise of pathologist Dr. Adam Hefner. And as we all know by now, even if Jigsaw takes a few years off between films, he's never really gone. There's a new game afoot in Spiral from the Book of Saw, which is mere days away. Starring Chris Rock, Max Minghella, Samuel L. Jackson and Marisol Nichols, it's going to be out on May 14th, or if you're in the UK, the 17th. But in this episode, it's the turn of the eighth instalment, Jigsaw. There will be buckets on heads, there will be laser collars, there will be big old barn-based spiralizers, and there will be spoilers. If you're new to the franchise, I don't know what's drawn you specifically to the eighth episode of a podcast where we re-watch these films in order, but turn this off now, go and watch Jigsaw, probably watch the other films too first, then come back and have a listen, you're very welcome. Anna, it's 2017, Jigsaw is released, paint us a picture with your words. <laughs> I feel like it should be a visual medium instead and to paint a picture with the makeup because I love the posters for Jigsaw. It's with, a beautiful look. Oh, it's so good. It's a great look. I, I want a makeup tutorial. It. Jigsaw poster makeup tutorial, please. Yes. So there's a seven year gap between the last supposedly final entry into the Sonoverse with Saw 3D, aka Saw the final chapter. It was not the final chapter, as we will find out. It's got a brand new team, new directors, the Spirit Brothers, new duo of writers, Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, who pitched for, well, they fought for about two years trying to get the rights to adapt, to create a new Saw script. They finally got there. And the Spirit Brothers, I have to admit, I'm such a big fan of their work. I love them. They're German-born Australian brothers. They directed the really, really fantastic vampire tech thriller Daybreaker starring Ethan Hawke. And then the time travel thriller also starring Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook called Predestination. And Daybreakers, I think, is just such a wonderful example of how they can build a world with very small elements. Yeah. I love how much we learn on this podcast. I haven't heard of either of those films. I'm going to check them out. Oh, definitely check out Daybreakers because also it's got Vampire Sam Neill and Vampire Willem Dafoe. Oh, my goodness. I love anything Sam Neill. <laughs> well, who doesn't? <laughs> and before we all drown in a grain silo of jigsaw discussion, Charlie, the at this point patented recap. I'm going to miss these. These are one of my favourite bits of the podcast, hearing you outline all of the plot in detail. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I'll get going. So, we open as the police are pursuing a man named Edgar Munson, who we see hop from a car and ascend to the roof of this building uh, where he sees a big X painted on a wall. He finds their trigger device. The police are closing in on him and he's shouting that there are these five people and they're going to die, but he'll die if he doesn't pull the trigger and he's got this choice to make. It's a little unclear at this point what the terms exactly are, are of this choice, but he says he wants to speak to a Detective Halloran. So they call Detective Halloran to the scene who arrives. They have a little conversation, but eventually Edgar Munson pulls 
pulls the trigger just as the police all shoot his hand off to attempt to prevent whatever is being triggered from being triggered. But it's too late. And elsewhere, five people wake up in a room with buckets attached to their heads and a timer now counting down from an hour. They are in, of course, a jigsaw game. A voice tells them that it's lies that have brought them there to play this series of traps and that it's the truth that will set them free. Kind of a classic jigsaw setup here, but it's going to develop in a slightly different way than usual. They're obviously going to face a series of traps. And in the first, they're told that the trap requires an offering of blood in order to halt these buzz saws. There's like a wall of saws that they're all being pulled inexorably towards by these chains attached to their necks. And one of them realizes that if she touches her hand to the saws and just lets a little bit of blood come out, then it will halt the thing, open a door, and she'll be free to leave that particular room. So it's a little bit of a callback to the trap in Saw 5 where they have to touch a buzzsaw and collect the blood as it comes out. It's a little bit like that. It's also a little bit like the beginning of Saw 5 where they likewise start in a room with chains around their necks but with a slightly different outcome. I mean, it's quite easy to get through this particular one. Anyway, they all do, with the exception of one man who doesn't wake up in time and seemingly dies at the blades as they all progress through to the next room. A sleepy victim. He sleeps through his own trap. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Tragic. It's the nap trap. Uh, (laughs) Nap trap. A corpse with a bucket on its head (laughs) is found hanging in a city park. The same man, we presume. One would assume. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd be forgiven for assuming... Halloran, who we met before, the detective, as well as Detective Keith Hunt, say that carefully, and medical examiners <laughs> Logan Nelson and Eleanor Bonneville begin to investigate the crime. Eleanor Bonneville just sounds like something out of The Crown. <laughs> yeah, Eleanor Bonneville <laughs> arrives here for the first time in the franchise. And as they're uh, examining this bucket-headed man who's been found hanging in the park, they find... So he has a puzzle piece cut out of him, as per all of the Jigsaw victims. His puzzle piece incision contains a USB key. <gasps> high-tech, high-tech grotesquery. And on the USB key, there's a recording that says, the games have begun again. So the four remaining subjects of the game, there's Anna, there's Ryan, Mitch and Carly, find themselves, as Catherine alluded to earlier, in a barn filled absolutely to the gills with traps. As the chains around their necks begin to pull them through the space, they try to confess their way out of it because they've been told that the truth will set them free. So Mitch shouts out that he sold a kid a bike that he, quote, couldn't handle and therefore crashed and died. Anna starts talking about how she lost her baby after her husband rolled onto it in his sleep by accident, and none of it seems to quite do the trick. Anyway, in the next test, Carly is revealed to have caused a woman's death during a petty theft. She basically snatched a purse from this woman who then chased after her, and because she had some respiratory condition, she suffered a medical emergency. Carly watched this happen didn't do anything to help, and the woman died. So Carly is given three syringes, one of which contains an antidote, another contains nothing, just like a saline solution, and the third, a horrible acid. I think it's the return of our old friend, hydrofluoric acid, as we saw in Saw 6, dissolving the medical insurance company shenanigans guy. The return of lots of old friends, because also Carly has 
a poison coursing through her veins. It's been a while. Hey, so we're <laughs> remixing themes on themes here. So there's some kerfuffle about what they're going to do with these syringes. And anyway, long story short, they all wind up pulled by the necks up until they're hanging. And Ryan ends up just stabbing her with all of them. And she gets all horribly acided, dies, dies. Acid is bad. She melts. <laughs> the police find an acid burned body. You'd assume it's Carly. You're surely not going to get more than one acid burned no. body. Fair to assume it's Carly. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. Carly. Yeah, you'd be forgiven for assuming that. And during the autopsy, it's revealed that Logan Nelson, one of the medical examiners that we met at the beginning of the film, was captured by the Taliban and tortured while in the army. Now, here's something we haven't seen from the Saw franchise thus far. <laughs> Taking it into more and newer political terrain. And later on, we catch a glimpse of his scars while he's in the shower. Ryan, meanwhile, back in the barn, gets his foot trapped when he attempts to go through a door that he wasn't meant to go through. And it's not immediately clear what exactly he's meant to do. However, Mitch and Anna then get trapped in a massive grain silo, which begins to rapidly fill with grain. And a videotape informs the, the lot of them that Ryan basically has to pull this lever which will cut off his foot but it will release Mitch and Anna from the grain silo which is rapidly filling with grain and later various assorted sharp implements that just get thrown in there as well. Is it a videotape or given we've had a USB would it be a DVD at this point? I know it's a flat screen telly which I think is new for the franchise. We've it got is. some major tech upgrades. We've got the first widescreen Billy the Puppet videos. We get Billy the Puppet in HD for the first time. Glistening HD. Mm -hmm. He has like neon eyes. Yeah. It's upgrades on all fronts. Meanwhile, Logan goes with uh, Eleanor Bonneville to her studio where it's revealed, weirdly, that she is a, a collector of replica jigsaw traps and she has this whole, like, I don't know what they're paying her, but she has this massive emporium of these incredibly ornate seemingly quite expensive replica jigsaw traps. Detective Keith Hunt has followed them there and takes photographs through the window of the studio, obviously thinking this could mean she's the new jigsaw, given this quite intense obsession she has. You call it obsession. I call it fandom. Have you got a lot of these at home as well? I will neither confirm nor deny. Anna's uh, bedroom looks exactly like this, this <laughs> mausoleum of torture devices. Our old friend Edgar Munson from the beginning, he survived having his hand blown off and he's been in the hospital. However, he's then kidnapped from the hospital uh, the same day that the police elect to raise John Kramer, the original Jigsaw Killer's coffin, from the ground in order to prove he's dead because basically they found his DNA on some of the victims. They get a lot of press inquiries. Could he secretly be alive? So they bring the coffin out of the ground, open it up, and who's inside? But Edgar Munson, the corpse of Edgar Munson, and he's got a little puzzle piece cut out of him. Where's John what? Kramer's body? Back in the barn, Mitch finally encounters his trap, the tape for which reveals that the bike he mentioned before selling to the kid had faulty brakes. And, in a twist I really did not see coming, that the buyer was John Kramer's nephew. <laughs> It all ties together. Mitch ends up mangled in a big spiralizer powered by the same bike engine that Jigsaw's fallen nephew once rode to his death. And when the police raid Eleanor's studio, they find a mangled body in the cupboard. Mitch, I presume. It's got to be Mitch. Must be Mitch. Yeah, it's safe to assume it's Mitch. Yeah, I think that's safe to assume. Eleanor and Logan are arrested, but Logan suggests to Detective Keith Hunt that actually it might be Halloran 
who's to blame. Hunt soon comes to agree and reveals that he's actually with internal affairs and that they've been investigating Halloran for years because he seems to be corrupt, possibly tied to a number of murders, has been letting various criminals get away with things because of his corruption, and they've been investigating him for years. So they also realise that the new Jigsaw victims are all mixed up in one way or another with Halloran's cases. And finally, when they come to pull the bullet from Edgar Munson, they see that it matches Halloran's gun. So he becomes suspect number one at this point. Plus, he's called Halloran. I mean, that name just screams dirty cop to me. Well, it's a classic Jigsaw Apprentice kind of name, isn't it? Hoffman, Halloran. Whereas Edgar Munson, that's more like a Frankenstein in a 1950s. <laughs> that's like <laughs> a pretty criminal name. Yeah. Lo and behold, they go to Halloran's flat. What do they find in his freezer? but a little packet of uh, jigsaw flesh pieces that he's cut from his victims. <laughs> it's nice he's being sanitary with them. Yeah, it's his little collection. Back in the barn, Anna and Ryan, our surviving victims, now wake up shackled to the walls of a small room presided over by a man in a cloak in the centre who pulls the cloak away to reveal that he is who other than John Kramer, the jigsaw killer. Hey, died at the end of Saw 3. How can this be? He died half a franchise ago. What? (laughs) He confronts them with their true sins. Ryan had caused a car accident as a young man, which killed several of his friends, and then he lied about it. And he's gone on to other sins, although these aren't detailed. And Anna, whose baby died, it's revealed she actually smothered the baby and blamed it on her husband and let him take the rap. That's dark. Very dark turn here. So Jigsaw leaves the pair of them with a shotgun and a single shell. He calls the shell pointedly the key to their freedom. And then he tells them also that they've been doing things backwards up until this point. Just a little cryptic hint there. He loves a little wordplay. Anna panics and she elects to shoot Ryan, thinking it's her only way out of the trap. But they've been doing things backwards. The gun is hardwired to fire backwards and it's actually her that gets all shot up and killed. Hoist by our own petard. Ryan has a little brainwave, looks inside the shotgun shell and what's in there but the keys to their shackles. Colour-coded keys, I might add. Yeah. We love an organised jigsaw. Jigsaw was being so helpful, he even told them it was the key to their freedom, but nothing. And that's a happy moment because the key is intact and ready to be used? Oh no. Oh no. No, these keys are no good. Oh, the irony. (laughs) Meanwhile, Eleanor Bonneville has tracked the game to, uh, (laughs) to Jill Tuck's Old family pig farm. You may remember uh, Jill Tuck died in the previous film, Jigsaw's ex-wife and apprentice. But yes, the Tuck family pig farm. And Eleanor was able to trace the game to that location because one of the first bodies they found had traces of Orjeski's disease, which is a pig virus, under its fingernails. And Orjeski's disease has only been located in certain places, we're told. And one of them is the old Tuck family pig farm, which is why it had to be shut down. So Eleanor and Logan drive to the Tuck family pig farm and there they're confronted by Halloran. There's a bit of a scuffle and basically, long story short, Halloran and Logan wake up in a trap of their own where they basically are told to confess their sins like the victims we've seen up until now. Logan begins to confess that he basically messed up, how's this for a twist, he messed up John Kramer's x-rays once upon a time And the fact that he mislabeled the x-ray meant that John Kramer's cancer was diagnosed late and that potentially his possibilities of life-saving medical treatment were delayed 
until it was too late. So he's responsible for John Kramer becoming Jigsaw. It's yet another bit of additional backstory for John Kramer's cancer, which has by this point been rewritten about four times. But <laughs> it all fits. It. All fits together. Halloran also panics, begins to confess his sins, namely that he is corrupt as... A big corrupt guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it seems to be too late because the shackles around their necks pull them back into the walls. And they, I forgot to mention it earlier, but they have <laughs> like a ring of lasers around their necks in a sort of necklace arrangement. It's a high-tech trap. It's a very high-tech trap, mm-hmm. the highest tech we've seen. And indeed, Logan's activates and the lasers cross his face onto his neck and a load of blood comes out and he dies very gruesomely. However, just as Halloran thinks maybe he's up on the deal, Logan comes back to life. What? And reveals that he has actually been Jigsaw's apprentice the whole time. Oh my goodness. Another one. And reveals that he, in fact, had staged the game to recreate one in which he was a victim 10 years ago And in fact, he was the guy in the bucket head that we saw not wake up in the first game in the barn. He was Nappy Mug Buckethead? Indeed. Extremely meta. The fan becomes the creator. He staged the game to recreate one in which he himself was a victim ten full years ago. So sort of an anniversary party, really. And that what we have been seeing play out in the barn was actually that earlier game happening ten years ago, hence Jigsaw being alive at its end, while the bodies that have been showing up in the present timeline have been Logan's new game, built as a replica of that original game, hence the victims having the exact same injuries as the ones from ten years ago. So he sort of Gus Van Sant remaking Psycho beat for beat as it's a an kind homage. Of tribute, artistic tribute. Exactly. And that his ultimate victim is Halloran because Halloran has been helping these various criminals escape justice. And now, because he got Halloran to confess his sins in an attempt to evade the laser collar, he has a recording of Halloran confessing all of this and he's now going to frame him as the new jigsaw killer. It's also mentioned that Halloran helped Edgar Munson, our friend from the beginning of the film, escape justice after he murdered Logan's wife as an extra bit of significance. And so while Logan's laser collar wasn't real, Halloran's is. He activates it and the lasers pass over Halloran's face, chopping his head up into six equal parts like an orange. His entire head unfolds like a beautiful flower. (laughs) And finally, Logan exits the door with something of a new catchphrase. He says, I speak for the dead. That's like the new game over, I think. Nice. Slams the door shut and that's Jigsaw. That's Jigsaw. That's all the story of Jigsaw, boys and girls. (laughs) Hopefully boys and girls are not watching this. (laughs) So it's a sequel and a prequel. In one, for me, it's maybe the entry in the franchise with the most boot crabs. We've talked about boot crabs before, but incredibly elaborate setups that surprise and delight. I'm thinking particularly of Edgar's corpse being in Jigsaw's coffin. Is there a sort of narrative reason for that beyond the shock moment? I mean, it's a fantastic shock moment. Yeah, I mean, unless I've missed something, we don't really find out where Jigsaw's body went. Because my assumption was was that he'd taken the body out of the coffin in order to get the samples of his DNA that he then put on the new victims. But actually, we see that he had a vial of Jigsaw's blood in in the lab. 
So I think, yeah, just a bit of classic boot crabs that he popped to the cemetery, dug the coffin up, swapped the corpses after kidnapping Munson from the hospital, then buried the coffin again, presumably put the ground back in such a way that it wasn't a clear it had been disturbed mere hours earlier, and then set up that fabulous reveal for the police. It would be really safe to assume, I'd say, that Jigsaw's corpse is in an altar somewhere, perhaps on a, on Lovely. a red and black velvet altar. I think it's in another unknown annex of the Tuck family pig farm. <laughs> another part of the property empire, that yeah. maybe in a future film we'll get to visit. My favourite boot crabs element in this film, though, has to be the identical mangling of all the bodies that show up in the present day timeline versus the 10 years ago timeline. The attention to detail that Logan must have invested in making sure that they were all just about unidentifiable and identically wounded to the victims of 10 years earlier, when, lest we forget, those victims from 10 years ago were never actually found, so the police don't know what they look like. The benefit of them being identical is just for us, the viewer. But I think that it shows Logan's commitment to the franchise, that he's really like somehow intuiting what a outside observer would make of all this. And that's a good horror villain. I think good horror villains, they pay attention to boot crabs. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to episode three, where we explain in detail what boot crabs are. But basically any overly elaborate setup that is... It's imagining the quite boring labour that went into creating a very successful theatrical flourish in horror film. But isn't that a worthy successor to Jigsaw as a killer with meticulous attention to detail? <laughs> exactly. And he also must believe quite strongly in that Jigsaw philosophy of up to a point people's behaviour is essentially predictable because it's not only Logan who has to run things identically. These people have to behave pretty much exactly in the same way as the people in the previous identical version of the trap in order for that to work. Yeah, we get a few tiny glimpses of what's happened in the present day version of the games that we never really get to see play out. But we see, for instance, that the woman who gets the syringes in the modern day version had actually selected a syringe and just clearly ended up with the acid one rather than being jabbed with all three like the woman from 10 years ago. So I suppose, again, happy accident. Or perhaps every single one of those syringes had the acid in them because he needed to guarantee her death. An entertaining via film. Via melting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't like to think he would play that unfair with the victims, but maybe that's crediting with him with a degree of justice that he does not deserve. <laughs> He does speak for the dead. Yeah, they really hammer home the I speak for the dead thing. It's I mean, a great sentence. I'm not quite sure what it means. Because Jigsaw says it to Logan. That's where Logan mm. first gets it. And of course, these are flashback scenes that in the chronology of the franchise took place very early on in Jigsaw's... Mentoring. Mentoring. So maybe it's something that Jigsaw was trying out as a possible catchphrase before he settled on Game Over. He does play around with his branding. Mm. Mm. I think... It's also a useful line to potentially be able to use in a trailer because obviously one of the great seductive things about Jigsaw when you watch it for the first time is, has he somehow pulled it off? Is Jigsaw somehow through some mad twist? Like, Are they going to figure out a way to bring him back? It's very, Jigsaw vampire. <laughs> very much the old uh, Sherlock Holmes. Arthur Conan Doyle has killed off Moriarty quite early in the Sherlock Holmes canon and people are mad and they need to get him back. So Arthur Conan Doyle writes in the Reichen back fool's trick with him I think hanging off the edge of a waterfall or something. I'm not doing down the Sherlock Holmes franchise in any way but it's obviously just done in order to bring back the main villain and if anything 
the film Jigsaw sort of pulls it off in a more legit way by having it be a flashback again but set up in a way that you're not expecting it to be a flashback so I think what I'm saying here is that the writers of Jigsaw are better writers than Arthur Conan Doyle the writer of Sherlock Holmes (laughs) it's interesting that you bring up the Sherlock Holmes Moriarty being killed off because they brought him back because essentially fans demanded it readers demanded the return of Holmes and not to say that fans were demanding the return of Jigsaw but as we've explained over and over again over the course of this podcast he is the spirit in the heart of the franchise people want to see him and i think jigsaw has this does some fan service to existing fans of the franchise and existing fans of tobin bell and in his character but also sets up a, a brand new timeline and a brand new universe within the Saw universe. So the first time I saw Jigsaw, I was a little bit confused about where Logan sits alongside the chronology of people like Hoffman and Amanda. Do they know that Logan is out and about acting as an acolyte? Do they meet? Well, so placing it in the chronology is possible because we see at the very end Logan and John Kramer collaborating on the reverse bear trap. And so if Logan made the reverse bear trap, which is how Jigsaw came to first work with Amanda Young. Work with and trap. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a prelude to their collaboration. I love that you're finally accepting my whole theory that Jigsaw is just a micromanager. I, yeah, I have accepted that at this point. <laughs> so that places him in the chronology before Amanda Young. And we know that Amanda Young was in the chronology before the bathroom trap from the first film. So it actually means that the barn-based games that we see afoot in this film took place prior to every other trap we've seen in the franchise except the very first jigsaw trap when he placed Cecil Adams in the rickety old chair with the knife gate. So Um, perhaps it's not his first trap, but it's his first multiplayer game in the chronology? There could well have been, you know, dozens of other traps before it that we've just never been shown. However, if there were, then like this trap, the police were not aware of them. Mm. It does, of course... But it takes time to research victims and build traps. And I think at a certain point, you just hit a human limit of what's feasible in a production schedule. No, come on, he's got nothing but time. In this (laughs) film, you see him sketching a tricycle. He would have made a wonderful film producer, Jigsaw. He gets things done to deadlines. He makes (laughs) multiple games play out at once. He's very adept at multitasking. Most notably, because of where this series of traps falls in the chronology, it does mean that Jigsaw had very, very early access to widescreen HD televisions and then just decided that he'd gone too far with the high-tech stuff and reined it in quite significantly when he then staged the bathroom from the first film, the deadly poison house from the second film. He kind of figured, you know, actually, this is not my aesthetic. I'm more of a VHS guy. Well, like Catherine was mentioning, he was refining his brand. Exactly. It just takes a bit of time. Mm. Let's talk about that aesthetic, because it's a film that looks significantly different to the other films in the franchise, barring maybe Saw 3D, which is also quite bright and clean. But I think the reasons for that are the 3D Photography, whereas this one is not in 3D, but we're in quite a breezy, airy kind of vibe for a lot of it. A barn is not necessarily a typical horror location. It's certainly not a typical jigsaw location. We're mostly in kind of grimy underground basements and bathrooms. Yeah, it's quite. uh, If you told me in a previous film in the franchise that we were going to go to Jill Tuck's family pig farm, I would have pictured (laughs) something much more dank, much more green. Turns out it looks like a sort of fancy Airbnb. Perfect for Eleanor Bonneville. She'd go stay here. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, the film, it does, it does have a very different look and feel to the others. It's in a new aspect ratio. It's the first film in the series that's not in 1.85 to 1. Instead, it's in 2.35 to 1. We go a lot wider. It feels more cinematic in a way. It looks very slick. And I think it looks almost like a police procedural in some ways, more than the look and feel of the previous Saw films. And I feel like that's something they've flirted with before, this sort of SWAT teams very early on mm. in the Jigsaw franchise. But I do remember Darren and Bowsman talking about how upset he was that the SWAT team in one of his saw installments was forced to drive at about 15 miles an hour and then they had to speed the tape up and it turned out to be because the driver of the SWAT team had left the parking brake, the handbrake on. <laughs> and I yeah, so at least this time out they got to sort of, you know, full speed SWAT yeah, team, got a bit helicopters, more all of that. It feels a little bit more action driven. And a lot more exterior shots as well. I know that in the last episode we were talking about how the public execution trap was one of the very few exterior shots in the whole of the franchise. We get quite a lot of outside action in this one. It feels a lot grander. Yeah, I mean, I think for me that's what makes it quite a good reboot is that I remember when I first saw this film when it came out in cinemas, the first half hour is thinking like, oh, this is very different. And as a hardcore Saw fan, I'm just going to have to accept that. that This is like a new take on things. It's not going to give me all of the insane, intricate calling back that I enjoy. Boy, do you have a surprise in store. (laughs) Yeah, well, so then along comes Eleanor Bonneville with her attic full of identical Saw trap replicas. And it becomes very clear that this actually is going to be rewarding that sort of attention to detail and that knowledge of the previous films. We get to see all of our old favourites reappear, essentially, including ones that I don't think are even particularly well remembered, like the trap that took out Alison Kerry, the thing that tore her ribcage out. That's one of the first ones we see. We see the box that almost that Peter Strom escapes from. Mm, The the, water box. The head box. Yeah. I mean, you say not remembered. That head box, I think, was one of our contenders for a winner That episode in in Trap Race. And when I spoke to the producers last episode, the angel ribs thing that takes out Detective Alison Kerry, played by the great Dina Meyer, that was one of their fave picks. It was definitely a really beautiful sequence, for sure, in all its goriness. But Jigsaw does that thing, which is a very difficult tightrope to walk, where it has to both set up a new story and new characters and still have enough of wings and nods and references and homages to the, let's separate them a little bit to the original look, feel, the traps, the characters, the references of all the previous Saw films without actually trying to replicate them, which, to be honest, if it, if they had tried, probably would have fallen a bit flat. But this works so much better because it's a brand new team with a lot of devotion to the Saw films, but bringing an entirely different look and atmosphere to it. Well, and having her as a fan surrogate on screen, Eleanor, means that they can both satisfy that contingent of fans and also have all the other characters go like what a nerd (laughs) and I'm like yeah that's me (laughs) I am a nerd so I was also lucky enough to speak to a fellow fan his name's Eric you might know him as pretty much it he's a youtuber and saw super fan so we sat down and had a chat about all things Sawniverse Hi guys, we've got a special treat for you today. With me is Eric Striffler from Pretty Much It. Hello. One of the biggest Saw fans in the Sawniverse. (laughs) I literally still to this day, I started doing 
saw updates online when I was like maybe 15 years old. And now as a 30 year old man, I still get people that will reach out to me and say, hey, I remember you from back in the day. Like when the Spiral trailer came out, I got a lot of people uh, hitting me up and saying, hey, I remember you from 15 years ago. (laughs) Have you seen this? (laughs) (laughs) So how did that all start? When did you first become an acolyte of Jigsaw? Oh my gosh. So yeah, well, I remember I watched the very first Saw the year it came out, and I was immediately hooked. It was the most deranged thing I had seen up to that point in my life. I would have been 13 years old, so that's pretty young to be just, like, watching that, you know? And then from then on, I would go every single year, the midnight screenings or whatever the earliest screening on Thursday was, with my friends, and my dad would have to bring us because we couldn't go in alone. Obviously, we were all like <laughs> little children. And so my poor dad would have to sit through them. I have to ask him if maybe he even remembers what any of them are about. He had to be there, though. <laughs> and then once creating content on the internet became more of a thing, I guess, you know, you figure 2006, seven ish I started posting videos about any updates that came up for Saw movies. So any new teaser posters, set photos, trailers, anything like that. We're talking like I would spoil myself. Unfortunately, looking back, I would know things going in that I wish I didn't. But I would do a bunch of updates and that garnered the attention of a lot of other Saw fans. And so I was constantly scouring uh, the official message board, House of Jigsaw, which I was so, I was elated that Darren mentioned it actually in his uh, interview here on the show. And then it became a back and forth thing where someone would post something there, tag me or whatever to see it so I could do a video on it. And it just became a very frequent thing in my life. I, I lost count of how many updates I did over the years. A lot of people watch a movie at 13 and they love that movie. Not many people are still going to be here 17 years later necessarily obsessed with the thing that first hooked them in. What do you think it is about the Saw franchise? You know, I was thinking about this because I, while listening to the podcast, which by the way, I don't even think I mentioned to you, I love it. You guys are fantastic. This has been such a treat. <laughs> oh, too kind. <laughs> I, but it's so nice to hear people talking about something that like it's, it, there is a niche element to it, to knowing all the nooks and crannies, of course. You know, I think it's still the most popular horror franchise of all time, as far as I know. But there is a niche element to knowing every detail. You're making me realize what it is, is that it is the almost soap opera element of it, I think. That's what it became. It's knowing characters' names that I'm like, should I really know this? Maybe I should make space in my head for any other information. (laughs) But for some reason, I know Detective Strom and stuff like that, like immediately, I don't have to think about it. And so I think it is the intricate details, the intricacy of the story and the canon that still continues. I mean, even though Jigsaw was kind of its own thing, it still ties back in very, very specifically. So I think it's the intricate plot line that is what did it for me. As insane as it got over time, I mean, as a fan, I feel I'm allowed to say, like, it is insane. It gets crazy. And if somebody else were to say that in a negative way, I would tell them to back off. But I'm allowed to say it because I love it so much. Yes, it's like I can criticize my mother, but other people aren't allowed to. Right, don't you dare. Exactly, exactly. But it's the intricacy of it, I think, that kept me coming back. And the fact that it really stuck to its guns on just it looking back it is crazy that the seventh movie is such an intricate story i feel like so many movie franchises try to bring in a new audience every time they have a new movie if you went into seven out of nowhere it would be impossible to figure out what the heck is going on in a good way yeah i think the saw franchise more than almost any other franchise horror or otherwise does that really great job of there are set pieces that anyone could sit down and watch and go that's a great horror set piece and there's the soap opera that you really need your phd in 
in the Sawniverse to understand every intricate twist and turn. Yeah, if you just want to go in and watch some crazy traps, you could do that. But if you're really following the story, you can't skip a movie like you could with a lot of other horror franchises. Or even with, I think... Today, it almost feels like maybe the Marvel movies are a similar thing in that you have to keep up with them. But even those, I feel like you could probably hop into the new Spider-Man movie and not have seen Guardians of the Galaxy. With Saw, it's like, if you really want to keep up, you got to keep up. So you mentioned traps. I was wondering if I could bring you, Eric Striffler, in to play a little game that we like to call Mm -hmm. Jigsaw's Trap Race. Absolutely. I will say now that the pig vat is gone, I'm happy to play because that I agree with Professor Charlie Shackleton. That one had to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, but... no. <laughs> so he now has, yeah, we've evened it up a little bit. So he's got somebody on his side. <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning. I think we could play uh, Eric's trap race. This sure, is like sure. sort of alternate canon. So Saw 1, we picked the bathroom trap. Did you agree with that? Would you pick something else? Obviously, the Reverse bear trap is a popular one, and... Uh, the razor wire, oh gosh. Uh, you guys are probably frazzled now having done all of them in a row like this, right? You can't remember what's from what. I gotta go with the reverse bear trap. I think that that's the all-timer, really. I think that it's, at least through Jigsaw, it's the one that still shows up. It We mm. got to see it get used, obviously, in 7, and then it even showed up in Jigsaw, but I think for Saw 1, certainly, that's the... That's the big one. It makes me think of, wasn't the poster, the first poster I think a lot of people saw was the reverse bear trap on Amanda's head. And I feel like that's what inspired so many people's curiosity. So from the very first moment of Saw to the end, I think it's been the one that stuck around the most. Yeah, see, I love that one. I think the reason that it didn't go through for me in round one is that it is escaped. And we know that later in the franchise, we're going to get the chance to see it actually go off twice, once slightly more successfully than when Mark Hoffman just manages to get out of it. (laughs) Well, you know, how many do we get to see get escaped properly, how they're supposed to be get escaped sneakily like Hoffman does, and then actually go off? I feel like that adds to the fact that we got to see every possible thing that could happen with it, which is pretty impressive. That's really true, actually. Yeah. Gosh, if you'd been there when we were debating Jigsaw's <laughs> Trap Race round one, could have gone a different way. Okay, so what about Saw 2? We went with the Razor Hand box, and I think actually I wasn't batting for that one, so I'm absolutely all ears to rewrite history and potentially pick a different trap from there. I spoke with the producers. They were aghast that we hadn't picked the Needle Pit. Yeah, I heard that, and I totally get where they're coming from and where you guys are coming from on the pros and cons of it. But I think I agree with you guys on the Razor Box Trap, actually, because that is one of the ultimate ones from the entire franchise where you sit there and you're like, it's so easy to get out of if you're not rushing. And of course she was rushing, which uh, for better or worse, we get to see the gore, but at the same time, yeah, it's very frustrating knowing you could have gotten out of it. Yeah. And then controversially, round three, saw three, (laughs) the pig vat comes into play. Uh, I, I, yeah, that is definitely not on my list of favorites. I mean, look, it's great. And I know you guys were also very into the emotional aspect of it, but looking at it as just a trap, I feel like that's one of the ones that is a little bit, I think I like the smaller ones. And that one is just a big grand one, which was literally, I believe your pro, one of the big pros was that it was a big theatrical one. So I like the smaller ones. I think not that this is a smaller one, but it's less grandiose, I guess, is the twisty body one, whatever the heck they even call it. The one with uh, Tim at the end, or I think that was his name. Twisty crucifix that was going to be someone getting folded into a box and then changed into a crucifix. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, so in your universe, Pigvat wouldn't have stayed on to face the hair chair trap, but would the hair chair trap from Saw 4 have been in there? You know, the hair chair trap, that one is one of the first ones I think of Saw 4 was maybe the most gruesome of all of them, I think, actually. 
because that one is very gruesome. The one with, was it Ivan in the hotel room? Is that what his name mm-hmm. is? It's just, it almost feels like three felt like an ending. And then this one was reminding you there's a lot left. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would go with the hair trap. There's definitely, no, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Donnie Wahlberg dancing around on the ice cube. I actually, I think that I don't even know, is that a trap? Because he isn't doing anything technically. It feels like we start to blur the line of what's a trap and what's just a murder at this point. So I got to go with the ice cube, though, actually, now that I think about it. I think that that's the most memorable bit for me. Lovely. So no hair chair trap. We've got an ice cube. No pig Mm -hmm. bat. This is an entirely (laughs) alternate canon for Jigsaw's trap race. I love it. Saw 5. A lot of traps in Saw 5. I think Mm -hmm. it was one of the ones that we rated quite strongly for the traps overall. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Saw 5? Saw 5 is definitely all traps and much less story. I think you guys said it as well. Saw 4 was so insane that they had to bring it down a little bit. And I think that was a good idea because while it's not the most twisty turny of the movies, it reset and paved the way for 6 to be, I think, one of the best of the franchise. So in 5... 5, we open with the pendulum and then we get the head in the cube of water box and close with the glass coffin. I think that the water box is the most memorable, but at the same time, again, that's not, is it a trap or is it just a murder? It's starting to blur the line. But if we're looking at them all as traps, that one is probably the most memorable. But then I do also love the shot of the hand ripping open when she has to put her hand through the saw blade toward the end. Mm, Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, maybe one of those. I think I'll go with the hand ripping open because it's just an incredible shot. I'll go with that trap at the end there. It's lovely prosthetics work. I love the little documentary behind the scenes with someone standing around with the arm (laughs) flopping apart there. (laughs) Completely desensitized, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's a nice one. So saw six, we then went with the pound of flesh trap who can saw the most off themselves against the clock. And obviously the winner is our scream queen, Tanidra Howard. So we then go into the abandoned zoo with William, the health insurance guy, and he has to save various colleagues from various traps. Mm -hmm. Did you have a standout from Saw 6? Well, Saw 6, I think I mentioned, is uh, one of my favorites of the franchise. I was so excited that Kevin Greuter was stepping up into the director's chair. That was a thrilling moment because back in the day, I interviewed him. We're talking maybe before Saw 5 came out or something like that. He actually was kind enough to chat with me. And at the time, I was maybe like 16 years old. So he's been the best. And so I was very excited for this movie. And I was very happy that every trap was great. This is actually one of the tougher ones for me to decide on. But I think I got to go with, do we consider it to be a trap when at the very end he gets the acid in his back? I guess that's a trap technically for the mother and son, right? Yeah. If you yeah, look that's at it still that a way. trap though. I'll go with that only because it is, I think that the big finale, the last five or so minutes, the big wrap up of all the Saw movies, of course, in Saw 6 is maybe top three of the entire franchise. And so that happening in the middle of it, uh, his body just falling apart is uh, is what sticks in my mind the most. So I'll go with that. Okay. And Saw 3D, one of the films of the franchise with the most traps, the trap count is insane. It's out of control. (laughs) We Probably shouldn't recap them all now, but I kind of had a soft spot for the brazen bull, the oven that the wife gets cooked in at the end of this one. As insane as things get, that is definitely getting up there with, I remember sitting in the theater and that's a moment where you think of how small the first movie is and how far we've come. (laughs) (laughs) And so that is a crazy one. I get you there, but I got to go with the teeth one. And the only reason is because as someone that was 
constantly talking about news about Saw movies when the third Saw movie came out and the poster was with teeth. I mean, that led me to think that there would be something teeth related and then there wasn't in the movie. And I remember always being disappointed. It seems like the most obvious thing to mess with teeth because that's got to be the most excruciating thing I feel like anyone can imagine. And horribly relatable. I mean, I yeah. woke up this morning having had a dream that I'd knocked a tooth out by accident. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like everybody's been there. And it's it feels so obvious. And I almost feel like maybe they were thinking we'll save that for last because that's so obvious. He's got to get his molars out to get the yeah. combination to progress to the next room. And I don't think it was even originally written into the script that there would be a trap at that juncture in the film. But they realized he was kind of completing his tests too quickly and right. the pacing with that and then the uh, parallel plot, they needed to slow him up. So they thought, why not pay off the old uh, poster from Saw 3 all the way back right. in the day? And I think you guys even mentioned in one of the episodes that there was an element of them going on the fan forums and stuff and making sure that they covered certain things that all the hardcore fans mm. wanted to see. And so that was one of them. And so as a trap, dead simple. It could have been in the first Saw movie and nobody would have bat an eye. It's, it's dead simple. It's very, very clever. And it is one of the more relatable, gruesome things, I think, in the franchise. And... The fact that they did it as sort of a, um, doesn't feel like fan service so much as, you know, hey, you guys stuck around. We want to give you guys what you've always wanted to see. And so for it's all like those reasons, you know. Benign fan service. I yeah. don't think fan service is always a bad thing. Like sometimes it's good to reward the people who've been with us on this journey all this time. Exactly. Like you're here. You've wanted to see this. This is a thing that we promised a long time ago and never did. And so for all those reasons, as a trap and also just like the backstory of it as a fan, I think that that's got to be the one I go with for this one. Well, we went with the silent circle. <laughs> we went with the, <laughs> the fish hook for that one. But Oh, that one is messed up too. That's the fish hook is like down in her guts, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She can't scream. You've got to pull it out. Oh, my God. That did lose. This was one of the winner stays on. I think the pound of flesh had charmed us sufficiently at this point that the silent circle fish hook lost out to that. That's a good one, too. There's a lot in this one. Like you said, I don't know that I could remember all of them myself. So bless you guys for even being able to pick one. (laughs) Jeez. And then we're about to hear, after you and I wrap things up here, what we picked from Jigsaw. But yeah. did you have a fave from Jigsaw? Obviously, notoriously, it includes lasers. <laughs> yeah. I think I, as a someone who would go at midnight every year to watch them, I wanted to see the traps either go wrong or just something strange happen with the traps. And so Logan asleep in the bucket head trap was such a treat because, like I said, I like to see things either go wrong or people escape in a way that Jigsaw didn't intend. I feel like I was always a kid that would like try to solve the math equation in school. And then if I got the right answer, but the teacher said I had to do it a certain way, it's like, what's what's the difference? And this feels like one of those things where whenever a trap goes wrong or something, Jigsaw's sitting there like, well, I guess I kind of appreciate that it didn't go the way I planned. And so I'll go in and take care of it. And so that, I think, right out of the gate was a very fun way to start Jigsaw off. Yeah, and I completely agree. I do want to live in the world where Jigsaw is this super hyper competent guy who's a wizard at all of this stuff. And it usually plays out exactly like he planned it. But it does make it just that little bit more plausible. And I'm not sure that I'm really justified in sitting here and asking for plausibility in Saw movies, but... (laughs) It does make it that little bit, adds that note of plausibility that someone might be asleep when a trap starts up. And I think that's fun. Yeah, I don't think it takes away. I mean, you want to see some a crazy, gruesome trap. And I think once the trap is set up, 
and you know how it's supposed to go, it almost doesn't really matter if it goes properly from there because you've got the idea of the trap, which I think is the best part, and then how it actually plays out is a whole different story. As long as there's blood, I don't think anyone's complaining, right? So <laughs> That's the unofficial slogan for the franchise. <laughs> That's the new slogan, yeah. So there's, uh, if it's Halloween, it must be Saw. Oh yes, there will be blood. And then the alternate one is, uh, as long as there's blood, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I'll give an honorable mention to the leg wires one. That feels like another one of those small ones where you could imagine yourself being stuck in that and how that would feel. So I'll give an honorable mention to that as well. I love that one. Anything yeah. involving piano wire, there's just something fundamentally nasty about that. Aye, aye, aye. So it's nearly that blessed time that we'll be able to all head off to cinemas and watch Spiral, the 14th in the US, the 17th in the UK. That's right. What do you make of it? So you know what's funny? I've completely flipped around actually on how I go into these movies. I used to go in knowing more than I wish I did. And for this movie specifically, I'm going in ice cold. I decided I want to just sit in the theater. All I know is that it's Chris Rock, Sam Jackson, and Darren Lynn Bousman is back, and that's the most thrilling part for me. And I'm very excited to go in the opposite of how I used to in the past and just find out what happens. Uh, that said, I've had a lot of people reach out to me because they know that I'm such a soft fan. I think people are really very surprised by the cast, obviously. And I've got friends telling me, you know, they're like, I won't say a word, but I'm very excited to hear what you think, so I'm... I'm curious to see what is going to play out. I'm very, very excited. I actually think if you asked me 10 years ago going into a movie like this what I would want, I would want more specific, intricate canon. Like, I want to find out what's going on. You know, maybe does Hoffman have, yeah, like a twin brother and he's back from the dead or who knows what. With this, I am curious because it's Spiral from the Book of Saw, it strikes me that maybe it's kind of a different take and it's not necessarily wrapped up in the intricacies and... Ten years ago, I would say I'm not interested in that. Now, I'm very, very curious to see, especially knowing how big of a fan Chris Rock is. I find that to be the most important thing. That and Darren Lynn Bousman coming back make it feel like, no matter what, as long as everybody making it is excited and, and is a big fan, I mean, what more could you ask for? Hopefully, another movie after Spiral. I mean, oh, I really hope yeah. it does really well and we get a ton more of these things. There's certain things in franchises, I think of like Seinfeld or Breaking Bad, where you kind of want something to end because you just want it to have like a beginning and a middle and an ending and then wrap it up and that's it. With Saw, like I said, uh, what I love about it is that it just keeps adding to the mythology and adding to the lore. And now potentially with Spiral, maybe it's going to shake things up even more than we've seen in any other movie. And I think that the basic idea of Saw with somebody's putting on traps and there's people in the traps and there's blood and gore that feels like something that doesn't need to stop and whether it's a new story or it's the same story and they're adding to the lore i will always be there as soon as the next movie comes out i'll be ready so spiral and then saw 10 11 12 13 i will be there opening night no matter what it might be time for jigsaw's trap race i think or Eleanor's trap race. Eleanor's trap race in honor of Eleanor Bonneville. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we're at this stage already because I think this is our final, guys, our final edition of Jigsaw's the decider. trap race. Trap race ends here with the ultimate winner of trap race. So, for the final time, let me recap the trap race so far. The bathroom won out first round, but lost to the razor hand box, which then lost to the pig vat. Pig vat managed to stay on against hair chair trap, but then lost to the glass coffin, which then succumbed one episode later to the pound of flesh trap. Pound of flesh trap then went up against the fish hook throat trap, but the pound of flesh trap prevailed. So what's the pound of flesh trap 
I love how it sounds like somebody selling vegetables down the market. Pound of flesh. <laughs> What's it going to go up against from Jigsaw? What will emerge as the ultimate saw trap? I mean, we've got a few options. There's the business with the timers and bombs and things, Edgar Munson. No. No. <laughs> then we've got our lads in the barn. There's the bucket room. They're on the buckets. Bucket They're being heads. pulled across the room into circular saws. Too simple. Too simple. I mean, I quite like that one for the fact that Sleepy Buckethead. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I remember seeing it in the trailer and thinking, oh, that's quite exciting. Seeing them wake up like smash Martians. It is fun and it also rewards teamwork. But I think it's a bit too tame. The only reason I mention it is because I think the idea that someone could sleep through their trap and die because they have problems waking up in the morning, I think that's quite nice, quite fun, little bit of human vulnerability in a different way to the way that we're used to with jigsaw traps. It's to be not clear, I, To be clear, I think he's been sedated. He's not just a bit a deep tired. Sleeper. <laughs> well, then uh, that's even better because that's really a goof from within the trap. Jigsaw is normally very good at judging his sedations. True. Well, and we do see Jigsaw rescue him from the trap. So maybe that was part of his thinking. I mean, and actually, that's a sort of medical thing. So do we think Dr. Lawrence Gordon was somewhere in the background helping out with that one? Or is the fact that the dosage was messed up and he didn't wake up in time, does that mean that Dr. Lawrence Gordon was not on call for this one? Well, because in the chronology, this trap surely comes before the bathroom trap? It's the first group trap. Indeed. Okay, so the bathroom hasn't happened yet. So he has not yet met Dr. Lawrence Gordon. So in fact, this is evidence of refining the process and not really being quite there yet. That's why he's so slick later on with any sedations, people you know waking up at the right time. Mm. This is Jigsaw learning that he needs better assistance and he also needs a team. It's him learning the value of teamwork. Yes, it's Lovely. all about teamwork. This whole franchise is about teamwork. I don't think it's going to win the trap race, but I like that it's in there. So chain hangers, lads hanging from chains. There's some syringes knocking around. We've got leg wires, the lovely one with the piano wire around the leg. There's the grain silo trap which intersects with the leg wire trap. Got to cut your leg off or the others will drown in grain. This big cycle trap, the famous spiralizer. And then the old shotgun keys. This is your key to freedom, if you know what I'm saying. There's that one in there. And then, of course, the climactic laser collars that do the, the old slice and dice head business. <laughs> Does anyone have a favourite from that little lot? I think there's the hints of some genius traps here, but I have a few problems with some of them as well. I mean, the grain silo, lovely simplicity. Mm -hmm. Just them getting buried in the grain. It's a bit confusing for me how it intersects with the leg wires because that was a thing that wasn't meant to happen anyway. I guess Jigsaw always knows what's going to happen. But I was quite happy to see them just slowly drowned in grain. Yeah, they have to add a little bit of sharpness to it with all the bits that start falling on them. They, they chuck all that throwing in. throwing sickles and nails and random bits of farm equipment. And then even when they're saved, there's like another thing on top of that where she rolls out of the grain silo and nearly impales herself on a rake. Mm -hmm. I didn't read that as intended by Jigsaw. I think that's just for our benefit, for the benefit of the audience. Rake crabs. <laughs> I mean, grain silo, though, it is spectacular. There's a lot of spectacular traps. I mean, the spiralizer is an insanely beautiful trap. And I don't think I ever wanted to know what a human that has been put through a spiralizer would look like. But I'm kind of glad I do now. Two. Two yes, separate two. Uh, victims of the spiralizer. And that lovely heavy metal music with the drum machine going. I mean, that's mm. quite fun that it's got its own heavy metal soundtrack for the spiralizer. That really made me laugh. <laughs> the leg wire, I will say, is satisfying because we get to see misfortune befall 
one of my least favourite characters in the entire franchise, Ryan. Mm. Poor Ryan. It's just because when he sees Billy the Puppet and he goes, that's not creepy at all. He's sassy Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I like that the Saw franchise takes itself seriously. I don't mind comedy, but I think you have hit on something there. I prefer it when the comedy in the Sawdiverse doesn't come from victims in a trap because I feel like you would take it more seriously if you were that guy. But I've got to say, I think my favourite is the leg wire, piano wire leg trap. Really? Yeah. And just again, for that relatability that we've talked about before in Trap Race, where you can imagine like a wire Mm, going into your leg like that, you really feel his pain. And there's lovely sound design as well from Charlie Klauser on this one. I think he said that he first got the idea for something wire based in trap score way back in like Saw 3, but he was able to use it here. And it's that sound of when you ping an actual piano wire and then the low reverbs after the main ping, he's worked that into the sound design of this trap. And I think you can really feel it in your gut. It is nice when his leg gets sliced up like a big salami. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, that's my question with this particular trap comes with the actual slicing. Because if you've sort of used a cheese wire, the wire goes through the cheese, nice and smooth, no problem, nice round slice of cheese. But a human leg is inconsistent in its textures. The bone is a very different proposition to the the muscle or the fat. Oh, here we go, so Jambray. <laughs> and I don't know that you would get those neat rounds like that or whether it would go into the bone and then you'd have a tension point and I think you might sort of like end up slipping off at another angle. I'm just no, not... the tension would be nothing though against these. These are like mechanised wires. This is not you with your cheese wire and your bare hands. I think we assume a huge degree of force. I'm just thinking about, you know, that cheese with walnuts in and you use a <laughs> cheese wire on that. It's a different proposition. Again, if you have an electric cheese wire. Yeah, if there's enough force, if there's enough pressure and also Ryan's leg has been held very still in place. If he were moving around, if he was able to move around, perhaps there would be more angles to the slicing, but there wasn't. Okay. Okay. So you've sold me. In that case, definitely the leg wire piano trap is my favourite trap. What about the laser collars? So yes, we have to debate the laser collars because they strike me and I'm sure some others as borderline wrong for the franchise. It's so high tech. Jigsaw is traditionally associated with iron mongering and these very mechanical, rusty traps. I think you said everything looks like it's come off a a shipwreck. Yeah, and now he's going very much into Star Trek territory. How do we feel about these lasers? Well, I think it makes sense within the context of a reboot of the franchise. And also, this is the new Jigsaw. This is Logan. It's not your daddy's Jigsaw. That is a good point. I think it's that thing of like where you're trying to find newness in quite a long-running franchise. There's going to be times when it's not quite new enough for people. There's going to be times when it oversteps and is too new. And I think for the most part, the Saw franchise does a remarkably good job of finding that level in a way that fans can jive with. I mean, it's not like they took Jigsaw into space. Like, they didn't do that. (laughs) I would so watch that. No, but also to reiterate my previous point, Jigsaw does have an affinity for steampunky technology, but this is not him. So it makes sense for one of his followers, one of his acolytes to develop their own signature style and also, frankly, to use the tools and the skills that Logan has at his disposal. It does make for an awesome death. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) Really squishy. It's just so gory and also very beautiful at the same time. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like one of those fruit arrangements that you can buy, you know, the sort of... (laughs) 
fancy melons, that kind of vibe. I'm sure someone on Etsy can make us a spliced head. Fruit carving, beautiful little gift. So what are we saying? There's the leg wire grain silo trap, the two-part trap, versus the lasers. Do we have a case for one or the other? Those feel like they're emerging as the strongest two from Jigsaw. You made great points for the leg wires and the grain silo trap. And I think they ultimately do fit much better with what we have considered to be the, the the reasons why a trap is successful and makes sense for Jigsaw's overall philosophy and plans and logic. So I'm going to have to let go of the laser collars and go with the grain silo slash leg wire trap. So we are not reaching for the lasers. It's the grain silo leg wire trap. We're going vintage. Yeah, I do have issues. And I do wish they just stayed on that grain. <laughs> <laughs> but for what could have been, it's the grain silo for me. Okay. So a drum roll, please. Not an actual one, but a figurative drum roll in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> the leg wires grain silo trap is going up against the pound of flesh trap from Saw 6, which I'm sure we don't need reminding, but chop a bit of yourself off. And if you chop off the bit that weighs the most, you're going to survive the trap. An oppositional trap from under Kevin Groytert's superb helmsmanship of Saw 6. That has been that's been in pole position since 6, so that stayed mm-hmm. on for 6 and through 3D. So a pretty strong trap. How do we rate that against the leg silo grain trap? I have to say, from my money, the pound of flesh wins. It's just a solid trap overall. And also, one of the victims escapes. So someone does actually win. It really has it all. Mm. I can't fault it. For me, often the fun of the traps is like nitpicking. You know, oh, I could do this better or like, why did that bit happen? Because that's the fun. You're really placing yourself in it. You're kind of having fun with it. However, the pound of flesh, I got no complaints. I got no notes. No notes for the pound of flesh. Jigsaw, you've nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I hadn't previously considered, I don't think that you're right, Anna. There's this nice touch of optimism to the pound of flesh trap because it's such an impactful, visceral trap. You watch someone hack their own arm off, you watch somebody else hack a good chunk of the side of their stomach Mm. out. And in that context, it feels a bit weird to be saying, but it's an optimistic trap. But it is because one of them's going to survive. So, guys, we found a winner. Jigsaw's trap race. A worthy winner. A A worthy winner. The pound of flesh trap from Saw 6. The film so disgusting it had to be recut for Spain. (laughs) (laughs) A trap so successful that even Professor Shackleton cannot find anything to nitpick about. Yeah, you know what? There was a while there a few weeks ago when I was being kept up at night worrying that we were going to (laughs) put the pig vat through to the very end. So I'm delighted with this outcome. Yeah, me too. I'm glad to have had your voice in this, Charlie, pulling us back from those more bombastic, spectacular traps, because I think it's... From literally reaching for the lasers. It's. it's, I'm sorry, we'll still vouch for the pick there. (laughs) But it is really satisfying (laughs) to have ended up with something so simple and and achievable. I mean, any aspiring maniacs out there, you could probably recreate the Pound of Flesh trap. Please don't do that and then blame it on me for saying that on this podcast. Yeah, you don't need any any Star Wars technology to make a jigsaw trap yourself. A worthy winner. Oh, I can't believe we don't get to do this again. I can't believe we're at the end of Trap Race. So normally we would at this point be asking Charlie, what's the deal with the next instalment in the franchise? But we don't know. We're about to see Spiral. Maybe Jigsaw will go to space. Maybe Jigsaw (laughs) will go to space. Maybe Jigsaw will fight Godzilla. 
<laughs> Who knows? Guys, I'm so excited. So excited to watch Spiral finally after all this time. It's almost too much. I'm so pumped. Also, it's a very starry film. Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, Marisol, Marisol Nichols. Nichols. So... Yeah, we're up to date. Spiral from the Book of Saw is out on May 14th or May 17th in the UK. And on that day, we'll be releasing a brand new podcast about a brand new Saw film. It is very, very exciting. Thank you so much for listening. And please remember to rate, review and cleanse yourself of the habitual lies that have brought you here. Seeing Saw is a Little Dot Studios production for Lionsgate. The show is hosted by Catherine Bray, Anna Bogutskaya and Charlie Shackleton. It is produced by Jake Cunningham and Harold McShield with production support by Ellie Aitken. And we're edited by Content is Queen. I can't see anything through this bucket. <laughs> Are we stuck in the final... Catherine's trivia trap. The final one. The last one. And as befits the final piece of trivia trap trivia, this is a franchise-wide piece of trivia, guys. They did this multiple times. But did you know that the Saw franchise saved over 360,000 lives through an annual Jigsaw Saves blood drive, where donating blood would get you a free ticket to the movie? And I've chosen to spring this particular trivia trap after our Jigsaw chat specifically because the 2017 blood drive took place in partnership with All Types Welcome, which is a blood donation campaign fronted by trans club diva Amanda Lepore, amongst others from the LGBTQ plus community, taking aim at restrictive rules around who is allowed to donate blood. And I love that. I love that Saw fans saved lives in order to see Saw. <laughs> <laughs>